Thanks for joining us on the Crenshaw Christian Center New York podcast. And remember these words, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let's jump into the lesson. This past Sunday, those of you who were at church, uh, I know some of you don't attend on Sunday because you have uh, other obligations, but if you were at uh, Sunday service this past Sunday, Minister Cassandra Lenore gave us a very powerful message on discipleship. Her topic was go, grow, and glow. Now the goal was taken from the language in the Great Commission, Jesus gave his disciples and followers and ultimately to all of us who are believers today before he departed the earth. And it is the Great Commission we as believers have received from our Lord and Savior uh, that we are here to carry out uh, this day. Now we find the language from Jesus in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19. You, you might want to take a look at that. Matthew 28, 19. Here, Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. All nations, of course, refers to all peoples. Now, in the previous verse, as Cassandra pointed out last Sunday, in Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, hmm? Matthew chapter 28, uh, we're looking at verse 18 now. Verse 18. Here, Jesus says, before he gives the Great Commission, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then he says, go therefore and uh, make disciples of all nations. With the Great Commission and with that previous statement in verse 18, Jesus is empowering the believer today as he was empowering the followers then to do what he did when he walked the earth which was to seek and save the lost. In seeking and saving the lost, you are engaged in the process of making those individuals disciples. And I like what Cassandra said last Sunday about 2018 being the year of discipleship. Uh, there's no better time. And I thought it was apt that she was able to get that message in before this January ended, beginning of the year that this is something that we should be actively engaged in. We are all disciples of Christ. You know, it, you know they're, they're, there's a religious sect that calls themselves disciples of Christ, just like they're Jehovah's Witnesses. But, you know, we're all Jehovah's Witnesses. We're God's Witnesses, and we're all disciples of Christ. But I like the idea that, uh, as she said, of 2018 being the year of discipleship. So what I want to stress tonight is this, to be effective in going and doing and making disciples of others, individuals, you must first be a good disciple yourself. Now, how do you learn to be a good disciple? It all begins, as Cassandra says, with you, yourself, accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. From that point on, you embark on a learning process whereby you study, learn, understand, and begin to apply God's word to your life. 
But to help you become a good disciple in the sense of going out and making disciples of others and seeking and saving the lost, uh, we established something here in New York, which Apostle Price established many, many years ago in Los Angeles, and that is the discipleship training program. Now, how many of you, uh, and you can, a uh, show of hands, have taken this course? Quite a few of you have. Well, the course is going to begin this year in March and watch for the opening. But I would encourage all of you who have not taken this course to do so. And for those of you who have taken it, to take it again because you will always learn something uh, different when you take it again. I teach a couple of the classes there and I know that I always teach it a little bit differently each time and so do the other teachers. But this is a basic course which is excellent for you to engage in after you have completed new members class. And it covers basic topics such as salvation, the Holy Spirit, uh, God's financial plan through tithes and offering, uh, healing, and uh, we go into detail about what helps ministry is and some other topics. But I commend this to you, so watch out for its opening this coming March. Take that. This will help you in your discipleship uh, operation. It'll help you understand some of the basics. It'll help you be able to speak with and speak to others that you're seeking to lead to salvation. Excellent, excellent course of study. Now, the discussion tonight is on what does it take to be a good disciple? And the topic was Jesus, our example of discipleship. Jesus gave us the best example of what a good disciple uh, uh, should be. And so we look to his life. We look to what he did uh, to see how a good disciple should proceed. And I remind you of something that I have said before, and that is that uh, the word discipline and disciple and discipleship all come from the same root word. Discipline, disciple, discipleship. And so I want to look at the discipline involved in discipleship tonight. You see, to be a good disciple, if you look up the, the definition of the disciple, it'll say to be a follower of a religious leader, and it'll usually cite Jesus. And it means to follow the discipline of that religious order or to follow the discipline. So to be a good disciple of Jesus and then also to be good at disciple shipping, uh, we have to be good disciples ourselves. We have to have that discipline uh, and dedication that Jesus had. So we're going to talk about that tonight. Now, just by way of uh, additional background, I just got a copy of Cassandra's CD and DVD of The Message Sunday. And I would commend this to all of you who have not gotten uh, uh, one or both of these uh, uh, recordings and listen to our message. It was excellent. It'll give you a good foundation. Now, let's look at uh, the life of Jesus in terms of his discipline something that we can we can emulate. Now, as we discuss this tonight, and we may or may not finish this tonight, uh, let's remember what Jesus said about himself. himself. He said that all of these things that I do, you can do, 
And he went on further, he said, and even greater things than these that I do. So anything that he did in his life, he's saying we have the same ability to do as well. And uh, the greater things, people are always raising the question, what does he mean by greater things? How can we do greater things than Jesus? And, and one of the explanations is that we can do greater things because we can reach greater numbers. Remember, in his teaching, he had to walk everywhere. <laughs> you, I mean, we could gather more people. And, uh, you know, when Apostle Price was having the Crusades, uh, uh, he, he filled up Madison Square Garden, 20-some thousand people. Well, you remember when uh, Jesus uh, fed the 5,000? That was a big crowd. But by television today, by social media, by Facebook, by YouTube, by Instagram, by everything, all of the different uh, 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 technical devices that especially the younger generation likes, we can reach so many more people. So that's the greater things right there, one, one explanation of it. So again, let's look at Jesus' life. His life was characterized by discipline and dedication. And the discipline and dedication was, number one, he was dedicated to knowing God's will. And the way he knew God's will is a little bit different. I'll talk about how we get to know God's will today. But the way he got to know the Father's will was by staying in constant communion and prayer with the Father. Uh, let's look at uh, his uh, prayer habits, which were so important to him. This was a daily thing for Jesus. Uh, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6 and look at verse 12. Luke chapter 6 verse 12. And it says, and here's our little phrase. It says, now it came to pass in those days that he, meaning Jesus, went out to the mountain. Uh, and he went out to the mountain alone, by the way, to pray. And continued all night in prayer to God. All night. Now, I know that uh, and you can all, you don't have to raise your hands, but when you, especially when you're trying to pray in the spirit and you do two or three minutes, and if you get to five minutes, you're exhausted, you're yawning, and you think you've been doing it for 20 minutes and it's only four or five minutes and so forth. Can you imagine? He continued all night in prayer. Uh, you're in Luke, back up, go to Matthew uh, chapter 14 and look at verse 23. Matthew chapter 14, verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. So prayer can be most effective when you do it alone. And that's the example he's setting there. Uh, since we're covering the, the Gospels, let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. It says, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he, meaning Jesus, went out and departed to a solitary place, meaning he went by himself, and there he prayed. So he had a daily habit of prayer, and that was the way he kept in communion and in touch with God and, and, and being constant in knowing what the will of the Father was. Now, for us today, we know the Father's will how? 
This is his will right here. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't pray. We certainly pray, and we should have a daily habit of prayer. But we know God's will because it's in his word. His word is his will. So we have to dedicate ourselves to studying the word of God. And as I said earlier, studying, learning, understanding, and applying the word of God. That's what we need to do. Now, he, Jesus dedicated himself to knowing the will of the Father and doing the will of the Father. And he said throughout that what he was doing was not doing of himself, but he was doing the Father's will. And let's go back to the beginning of his ministry. Uh, you were in Luke a little while ago. Go to Luke chapter 2, verse 49. This is at the beginning of his ministry. Jesus always made it clear that it was not his will, but it was the will of the Father that he was carrying out. Luke 2, 49. Now, I'm going to summarize what this comes before. You remember uh, he was traveling with his parents, and he lagged behind, and his parents went home, and they looked around and said, where's Jesus? So when they went back, they found him in the synagogue. And uh, he was teaching. And he said to them, to his parents, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? He never once said that he was about his business. It was about his father's business. This was actually the beginning of his ministry. Near the end of his mission on earth, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you're familiar with this, in Matthew 26, 39, when he was challenged with the thought of having to go to the cross. And you remember he said, if it's possible, let this cup uh, uh, pass me or be taken from me. And then in Matthew 26, 39, he, he says, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. I'm reading from Matthew 26, 39. But then he said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So, we not only want to know God's word, but we want to be doers of the word. Uh, you can mark this down. You don't have to go there. James 1.22. James 1.22 says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. So you can hear the word, but if you never do it, <laughs> it's not going to benefit you to the maximum. You have to be doers of the word. So, Now, the dedication that Jesus had in maintaining a disciplined life is one that we can certainly seek to emulate. He set such a good example. Uh, we've already seen his disciplined prayer life. Uh, we know from the gospel his disciplined determination to carry out the Father's will. We know his commitment to preaching the gospel. And we know his disciplined mission to seek and save the lost. That's what he talked about all the time. And we know that he was disciplined enough to resist all the temptations of the devil recorded in various places. But I want you to just go to Luke chapter 4. We're not going to review this, but you need to know this uh, and, and, and you can read it. So Luke chapter 4 verses 1 through 13 talks about 
him being led up to the mountain to the to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he was in, the devil tempted him and all these things like turn the stones into bread and so forth and and to uh, do all the other things that are listed in those scriptures and so forth. How did he resist the devil? How did he defeat the devil? With the word of God. So he not only knew the word, but he was a doer of the word. He applied the word, and that's that's what we do. That's what you, and that's that's the example that he's using there. In other words, when you're attacked by an illness, you say, "Now wait a minute, devil, you're a liar." By his stripes, I am healed. I was healed. I am healed. Uh, if you're facing a financial challenge, you say, "No, you're a lie, devil." My God shall supply every need of mine according to his riches in Christ in glory by Christ Jesus. And so you use the word to resist the temptations of the devil. And that's what he's referring to here. But what I want to point out here is that we sometimes forget that he was totally disciplined in his personal life as well. He was subjected to all the temptations we face. Sexual appetites, overeating, the temptation to be jealous, to be vengeful to lie, to be controlling, to have an air of self-importance, or to be self-seeking, you, you, you name them. He was tempted in all of these, but he successfully, successfully resisted all of them. Uh, look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews 4, 15. It tells us here that for we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, you know, with our challenges and the temptations and the trials that we face, but was in all points tempted as we, yet without sin. He was tempted with everything that we're tempted with, yet without sin, so forth, because he had the discipline. So you might say, of course, he could resist. After all, he was the son of God. But you have to remember, as we point out in this ministry, he did not minister on earth as the son of God, but as the son of man. He set aside all of his heavenly powers and walked to earth as the son of man. So he was tempted just like any other man on earth, just as we are. He had to do the same thing as Apostle Paul had to do. And Apostle Paul tells us what he did in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. Paul says here, But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself become disqualified. In the original King James uh, Version, it says, But I keep my body under myself and bring it into subjection. What he's saying is that uh, you have to... The locus of control is always in you. You control, you know, what you do. And, you know, a lot of times you hear, well, the devil made me do it, so forth. Or the temptation was just too great, or whatever. Or it fell in my lap, or whatever. Whatever the, whatever the, the, the different excuses we give. But you have the control. And as Paul says, you have to discipline your body and keep it in subjection, and so forth. And that's what we learn from Jesus. And, of course, from Paul. Now, uh, as Cassandra said on, on, on Sunday, and that was the second point. Her first one was go, the second one was grow. We look at the life of Jesus, and his life was one of constant growth. Now, a lot of people like to think, 
and even say, well, he came here perfect. <laughs> but no, that's not what the scriptures say. Uh, look at Luke 2.52. Luke chapter 2, verse 52. What does it say? If he was perfect already, you would need this scripture. It says here in Luke 2.52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. He increased, meaning he grew. If he was perfect already, there would have been no need to increase or grow. He grew. He learned, and he learned by doing, by applying the will of the Father, which is the word of the Father in, in terms of us. Now, look at Hebrews uh, 5 8, something else. He learned obedience just as we have to learn obedience. He was the perfect example of dedication and obedience to the will and word of the Father. Look what Hebrews 5.8 says. It says, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He learned obedience by the things which he suffered. In other words, he went through sufferings just as we did. But instead of just going through them, he grew through them. He learned obedience. Now, what I want to point out here is that it doesn't say that he went through sufferings in order to learn obedience. What it says is that as a byproduct of the suffering, he learned obedience. He did not have to. And also, you don't have to go through suffering to learn obedience, although some of us do. Uh, but what it's emphasizing is, is, is the statement that I always make. It's not how you go through things, but how you grow through them. He chose to grow through the suffering and thereby learn obedience from them. Now... Now let me turn to another point that I want to emphasize about Jesus that we can learn from his example of discipleship. And that's the fact that he was totally dedicated to a lifetime of service and sacrifice for others, for the sheep, for us. Look at Mark chapter 10 verse 45. Go to Mark chapter 10 verse 45. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In other words, he came to serve, not to be served. And that's a quality and discipline and characteristic of Jesus that's overlooked by so many people and it's overlooked by Unfortunately, by so many people who stand at the head in pulpits across the nation because they, in so many words, sometimes directly uh, and, and, uh, and if not indirectly, that I'm here for you to serve me, meaning for the congregation to serve me. No, no. The example Jesus said is that he was there to serve the sheep, the congregation. And... So as disciples, 
engaging in discipleship training, that's one of the examples of serving others is to seek to make disciples of others, to seek to save the lost, and so forth. Uh, look uh, at Luke 22:27. Luke 22:27. This is Jesus speaking. That's Luke 22, chapter 22, verse 27. He says, for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? And then he answers his own question. He says, is it not he who sits at the table? And then he goes on and says, yet I am among you as a one who serves. He said, this is, he's talking to the disciples there. He's saying, I'm, I'm the head, but I'm serving you. Look at, uh, go to the, to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And let's look at this great example of service that Jesus gave us. That's the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And uh, we're going to look at verse 4 initially. Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 4. It says... And it's and saying he, it's Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. In other words, he took a towel and uh, wrapped it around himself. And verse 5, after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then drop down to verse 12 in, cha in chapter 13 there. You and John... Chapter 13, go to verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments again and sat down, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord and say, well, for I am. What he's saying is that you're speaking the truth, for I am that, your Lord and, and teacher. If then your Lord and teacher uh, have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet so we're going to bring out some basins of water that... <laughs> no we're not going to do that but what he was saying is that if I can do that I'm the Lord the teacher then you ought to be able to do that uh, to one another and verse 15 and this is this is important. This is like the summary of what, he, what he's done. Look at verse 15. He says, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verse 16. In other words, what he's saying is that I've given you an example of service. You should follow the same example. It, it reminds you of uh, what he said after the story and the deeds of the Good Samaritan. You remember the Good Samaritan? Everybody passed the person who was injured some crossed on the other side of the street the good Samaritan stopped and helped bind up his wounds and got him to an inn where he could stay and gave him some money for food and so forth and so on and Jesus says at the end he says uh, go and do likewise so what he's saying here is the same thing he's saying go and do likewise as I did and so it's symbolic it's not just washing feet and you know and a lot of uh, a, a, a lot of churches do make a big example of what 
But you know, it, it, it doesn't take a whole lot to wash somebody's feet, but it takes a whole lot to take up some time with someone who needs some counseling, who needs some moral support, who needs some support, who may even need some financial support and so forth, who may need some help, who may need encouraging and so forth and so on. So that's what he's talking about. He's saying where you see a need, do your best to provide assistance. Verse 16, we're still reading in uh, chapter 13, John 13. He says, most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who, who, who is sent greater than he who sent him. He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Again, as we said, if you know the word, great, but blessed if you become a doer of the word. Now, I'm going to move on and talk a little bit more about what we as Christians today need to do by way of discipline to follow the example of Jesus. As Christians, we're all disciples of Christ, as I said earlier, and we accept and work to spread the good news. That's what the gospel is. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we do this by yielding to the direction of the Holy Spirit who guides and directs us to all truth and he prompts us to examine our thoughts, words, and actions and, we, and compare these to the word of God. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit, by the way, who when you are in tune with the word and in tune with the Holy Spirit, after you have been trained, especially after you've gone through discipleship training and a certain amount of training in the word, that when you come in the presence of a person who you really want to minister to in terms of, 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 of leading him to salvation, and you might say, well, I don't know what to say. Well, it's really the Holy Spirit who will prompt you and lead you and give you the words that you're supposed to say, give you things to say that will speak to that person's situation. Uh, unlike, uh, in other words, there's no one size fits all. Everybody has a different story. Everybody has a different challenge. Everybody has a different uh, need that, uh, that uh, needs to be responded to. But the Holy Spirit uh, will guide you in terms of what to say, how to approach a person, when to approach them, and, and what to say. And I remember when I was in high school, and there was a religious group on, on, on campus, and they would come up to a person and just say, are you saved? <laughs> and, 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 and my reaction, because I, was, I, was, I always had a sense of humor, I said, I, I, wouldn't, I, I, said, I, I didn't really realize that I was lost. <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway, the point is, is that you can, that kind of confrontation, you know, and, so, and, and the people who say, you know, unless you accept it, you're going to go to hell and so forth. Obviously, that's not the right tack to take. So you, if you're in tune, you'll be given the right uh, words to say. Now, uh, to be in tune, it requires us to really study the word daily. Study the word daily, praying over it, meditating over the word, and 
really listening to that still small voice. This is why I said in my first message uh, this year, uh, last month, it's already last month, you know, because today is February 1st, is that you need to make sure you set aside some quiet time every day, whether it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes, whatever time you can allocate, dedicate and set aside that time to the study of the word. That study, reading, meditating, and, and so forth. You need to do this. And we find in the word being a good disciple involves, as I said, personal growth, characterized by a number of things. And the first one is putting Jesus first in all things. And you can mark this down. You don't have to go there. Mark 8, chapter 8, verses 34, 38. You can look at it later. But our, our focus should be on our Lord and Savior and pleasing Him in every area of our life. And we need to put off self-centeredness and put on Christ-centeredness. In other words, as you've heard Cassandra and Iva and some of us say, it's not about me. It's about Christ. That's the important thing. Two, follow the teachings of Jesus. And again, you can mark down John 8, 31, 32. It talks about abiding in my words. If you abide in my word, and my words abide in you, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Abide means to live in. You remember, to take a residence in, not look at once or twice a week, or only abide for 45 minutes or 50 minutes on Sunday morning or Thursday night Bible study. It's spending time living in the Word. And we must be obedient children and doers of the Word, uh, as I said earlier, as Jesus was. And let me emphasize something else. We are commanded to love other disciples. Uh, the commandment, and you, you'll find the love commandment, uh, John chapter 13, verses 34, 35, where we're commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves. And uh, it's our love that we show for others that gives evidence of our being a member of God's family. Uh, uh, in fact, go here. Go to 1 John. That's little John just before Revelations. 1 John 3.10. In 1 John 3.10, we find this. It says, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. In other words, you'll be able to know who's who. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So, and you know the other scripture that says, how can you say you love God who you've never seen and yet hate your brother who you see every day and so forth. So, love is so important. And I always commend uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to everybody. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that's the whole Chapter 13, verses 1 through 13, 
where love is defined and elaborated on. That's Apostle Paul's great essay on love, which I, I say is the greatest essay in the Bible and maybe you know, really one of the greatest essays ever written. That's something for you to do on your own to, to, to read. And I, and I like to recommend that people read that, not just one time, but read it, read it, if not daily, read it weekly. Go back to that and until you really get that in your spirit, what love is, you know. Love is not rude. It doesn't act unseemly. It does not, you know, uh, it does not uh, puff itself up. It's not prideful. It's not all of these things, these attributes of, of, of love and so forth. You need to see these. And then Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. This is disciples relating to other disciples. In other words, members of the congregation relating to other members of the congregation. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. And then verse 4, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, can you imagine what an incredible world we would have if we would esteem others more than ourselves? And if our goal was to look out not only for our own interests, but the interests of others and so forth, that's, that's being a good disciple. And since you're in uh, Philippians, just go over to verse 5, because this is a good one. <laughs> it said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, our approach and attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In, in other words, when someone came with him with, to him with a challenge, he looked beyond the challenge. He looked beyond the frailties. He looked beyond the things that society looked at. And he was able to relate to anyone, the woman at the well, the, the, the people with, with, with leprosy and so forth and so on. He could deal with everyone because he looked right past what was appearing, and he looked at the real person and so forth. It's just like uh, that, that verse in Samuel, God, man looks at the, at the outer appearance, but God looks at the heart and so forth. We have to learn to look at the heart, or at least not be guided completely by the outward appearance, because it's so easy to turn away from somebody, because you know, you're walking along the street and you see somebody and, and, and even stronger than that, you smell them coming towards you. I'm talking about a homeless person and so forth. And, and, and the reaction is to, you know, to get away or get on the other side uh, of the street or just get around them and so forth and so on. But there goes somebody's son, somebody's brother, perhaps somebody's father, and so forth and so on. And we forget that sometimes. And, and you know, the, the Bible tries to remind us of this fact when it tells us that sometimes that we have unwittingly and unknowingly entertained angels and so forth. So uh, let me tell you what I do, as a matter of fact. I, I make it a habit to try to give to at least one person every day. Now, it's easy for me because I ride the subways, 
and I walk the streets more than maybe a lot of people because I, I walk when I can and I ride the subways. And there's always somebody with a handout. And so you, you, you pick and choose you know, who, who you're going to give to. But I try to give to at least one a day. You can't give to everybody. But, but, but you know. Now. <laughs> now. No comments from the peanut gallery, Mr. Woodbury. <laughs> now, let's look at some of the other things where discipline is required that, 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 that uh, you need to take to heart. It takes discipline to eliminate fear and worry. See, fear and worry, if you're a child of God, if you are a disciple of Christ, then fear and worry should not be part of your life and so forth. But it takes discipline to give that up. It's so easy to fall into fear and worry. And, and you know, uh, uh, I've given it and other people have given it that acronym, FEAR, F-E-A-R, false evidences appearing real. In other words, uh, these, things, these things are not real. They are, first of all, if you can see them, what does the word say about, look, not at those things which are seen, for the things that are seen are temporal or temporary, but look at the things that are not seen the things that are not seen are eternal. So the things that you see are temporal or temporary, and that's why you can say with conviction that they come to pass, or that they came to pass, and not to say because they're temporary, so forth. That's where that little phrase fits in right there. They come to pass. Second Timothy 1.7, you know this one. Second Timothy 1.7, for he has not given us the spirit of fear, but spirit of power, love, and sound mind. That's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Some of these you need to mark down and, 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 and memorize. And you know that, in other words, I mean, it, we should be comforted in knowing that, that fear does not, is not God-given. It does not come from God. Just the opposite. And I always like to ask this question, and, and most people never get it right. What's the opposite of fear? Mm -hmm. What's the opposite of fear? Someone said faith. That's that, that's a good one. Anybody else have an? Uh, uh, right. Okay. I guess I guess some elements that it's true, but actually, uh, a lot of people don't know the opposite of fear is is actually love. And uh, since we're talking, let's go to. Little John again. 1 John 4.18. 1 John 4.18. 1 John 4.18 says, For there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. See, love is, is, is opposite. And finally, let me say this about worry. You've heard me say this before. Worry, W-O-R-R-Y, comes from the Anglo-Saxon word virgon, which is spelled W-R-Y-G-O-N, but it's spelled, the V, uh, the W is pronounced V, virgon, W-R-Y-G-O-N. And that word means to strangle. So when you're worrying, you're literally strangling yourself to death and so forth. So...
it takes discipline, discipline to put aside worry and fear. Now, let me give you three final points uh, that involve discipline. Guard your mouth and what you say. And Ella Iva touched on this, I'm sure, in her message a couple of Sundays ago. Guard your mouth. Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Guard your mouth. That takes discipline. Proverbs 6.2. You are snared, meaning trapped, by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. Be careful what you say. What you say will be what you get. Be careful what you say. Guard your thinking. That's discipline. Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Guard your thinking. And then let me leave you with this last one in terms of discipline, which is part of being a good disciple. Guard your mind. People love to say, you know, I listen to everybody. And there are people who do, who do listen to everybody. They listen to anybody who comes on television, anybody who comes to town, they have front row seat to hear them and so forth. And so, and they say, I listen to everybody because I have an open mind. <laughs> but I like to say an open mind is like an open window. You have to put up a screen to keep the bugs out. You have to have some discernment, some ability to judge what you hear. And, and, and uh, the word tells us, be careful what you hear, be careful how you hear. And that's another way of saying, be careful who you hear. So I'm going to leave you with that. All of these things are elements to being a disciplined disciple and being a good disciple before you go out to attempt to make disciples of others. So with that, every head... Our hope is that you received something that you could apply to your life and strengthen your faith. At Crenshaw Christian Center, New York, we believe that the Word of God is practical for everyday application. Feel free to stay in touch with us via social media, or you can give us a call at 212-749-9323. If you're in the New York area, you're welcome to join us at one of our services. Our Sunday morning service is at the New Yorker Hotel at 9.45 a.m. That's on 34th Street and 8th Avenue in New York City. Or join Join us for Bible study on Thursday evenings at our fellowship office, 470 7th Avenue on the 6th floor, right in Herald Square. Thanks again for listening, and remember, walk by faith, not by sight.